0: Welcome, everyone. I'm Kim Christensen, and this is the Peaceful Productivity Podcast, where I share strategies to help you get the most out of your time and feel better in the process. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this episode of the Peaceful Productivity Podcast, where today we're going to be talking about creating clarity. I'd like to start the episode today with a question. And the question is, what do you want? What is your secret dream that you haven't told anyone else about? Perhaps it's starting your own business or bidding on a job that's always seemed out of reach or writing a book or traveling the world. What is that secret dream that you might not even be sharing with yourself? So the question is, what do you secretly most want? I'm curious how many times you ask yourself this question, and if you do, what's the response? In a podcast about creating clarity, I think this is the single most important question. You might recall that the peaceful productivity strategy, I talked about this in earlier episodes, the peaceful productivity strategy is choose, plan, and do. The first part of the strategy is choose. And I find it's extremely challenging to make choices when you don't have clarity about what you want. So I decided to create this entire episode dedicated to helping you create clarity so that you feel like you can make more powerful choices. So let's go back to the question, what do you want? When I ask my clients this question, there are a few responses, but two of the most common are number one. There is no choice. And number two, I don't know. When people say that there is no choice, what they're really saying is that there's no good choice. In their minds, they've already assessed all of the options and jumped to the conclusion that there is no good choice, which to them means there's no choice at all. And it might be valid to say there are no good choices, but that's an entirely different statement than saying there is no choice. The difference is really subtle, but it's very important. When I say there is no choice, I feel trapped, pressured, forced. When I say there are no good choices, maybe I'm not happy with the options, but I still retain my power to choose. And when I retain that power to choose, I'm more willing to explore, open up to other options, and commit to figuring out a solution. Versus when I feel like I don't have any choice, I essentially shut down. I feel closed. I feel trapped. I'm definitely not willing to explore any other options. And the interesting thing is that this line of thinking reinforces my belief that there is a right way to do things and a wrong way to do things. You know, that black and white thinking that it shuts down all of my creativity and my willingness to explore and take calculated risks. So the very first strategy that I'll offer in terms of creating clarity is simply a reminder that you always have a choice. You may not like the options available, especially at first glance, but telling yourself that there are always options. This puts you back into the driver's seat. And the second response to the question, what do you want, is oftentimes, I don't know. I'm going to explore two different examples of how I don't know can show up for a couple of different reasons. So the first example is based on a conversation that I have with young adults who feel an incredible amount of pressure to make a career choice. When I ask them what they want, they'll often say, I don't know. And when we dive a little bit deeper, what we find is that they're often feeling a great deal of pressure, pressure to make the right choice. They feel that this choice is incredibly important. There's a lot riding on it. And so it feels very heavy. This burden of pressure that they're putting on themselves can often lead to a state of analysis paralysis in which no decision is made for fear of making the wrong decision. In these situations, the fear of making the wrong decision or the guilt over not making a decision at all can often lead to a lot of self-judgment. And it's so interesting because it might not sound like self-judgment in my own head, In my head, it often sounds like logic or rationalization. Things like, I need to make a decision before it's too late. Everyone else seems to have this all figured out already. I'm never going to figure this out. I don't know what to do. On the surface, these thoughts, they seem like observations, statements of fact. However, we can identify them as self-judgment when we identify the feeling that is associated with that thought. So when you think everyone else seems to have this all figured out already, how do you feel? Do you feel motivated, energized, inspired? Do you feel determined, maybe courageous, confident? For me, I'm much more likely to feel embarrassed, shame, or guilt when I think everyone else seems to have it all figured out already. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with those feelings. In fact, they serve a very important purpose. But I would offer that productive action does not typically follow feelings of shame. In fact, Brene Brown is well known for linking shame to hiding, which makes a lot of sense when she puts it that way. If I'm comparing myself to others and consistently coming up short in my own estimation, it makes sense why I might be feeling shame and wanting to bury all of that. However, if you'll bear with me for just a moment, I'd like to talk about shame. I know, (laughs) probably everyone's least favorite topic. But from a productivity perspective, I think it's really important to understand the value of shame and then learn to pass through it rather than allowing it to block us or paralyze us. So what is the value of shame? What is the message that it's trying to provide us with? I love and I often recommend the book Shame by Dr. Joseph Burgo. Definitely recommend that book. But for me and my own work, I've recognized that shame is coming from the part of me that wants to keep me safe. And in this case, safety is equated with blending in with the crowd, doing what everyone else seems to be doing. Quick side note here, we actually don't really know what everyone else is doing or feeling. For the most part, we really only know that cultivated appearance that they're putting out to the world, usually through their social media profile. And there's nothing wrong with that. I only point it out because the thought, I'm not doing it as well as everyone else, that thought is really just based on this false idea that we think we know what everyone else is doing or feeling, but we really don't. We really only know for sure what we are doing and feeling. Okay, that's the end of the side note. Back to the feeling of shame. I think the first important step is identifying the feeling, bringing it up to the light, so to speak. My experience is that shame really can't survive in the light. It only thrives in hiding in the dark. It lurks behind the scenes, causing us to think and feel and do things that we might not otherwise have thought, felt, and done. And the added bonus is that we'll often attribute those shame-filled actions to someone else or something else outside of us. My favorite analogy for all of this is to think about shame hiding behind closed doors like a big scary monster. However, when I open the door, I realize that the monster is really something more like that uh, lovable monster Sully from the movie Monsters, Inc., or for those of you who are unfamiliar with that movie, more like a fuzzy bunny. When we uncover shame and understand the underlying motivation behind it, then we defang it, essentially. Which is the first important step to moving through it, rather than having it unconsciously calling the shots behind the scenes. So why does a podcast on clarity contain so much around the topic of shame. Well, the reason is because it's my opinion that shame is one of the things that most gets in the way of our clarity. If we go back to the young person who's trying to decide what they want to do with their life, when that young person compounds the fear of making a decision with the shame of self-judgment, it's no wonder why they might feel trapped or blocked. Now, the interesting thing is that feeling trapped by a lack of clarity is not something that's reserved just for young people. In my experience, it can span all of the age groups. I recently had a conversation with a very successful woman who was completely established in her career and raising a young family. So on the surface, it seemed like she had it all figured out. And yet the reason she came to talk to me was also because of a lack of clarity. She said she was feeling unfulfilled but she was also telling herself that she didn't have any options. It's not like she could ditch the successful career or the family. So she was telling herself that she was stuck. And when I asked her what she wanted, she would sigh in frustration. I don't know what I want, she would say. Not because she was afraid of making the wrong decision, but because she felt like there was no decision to be made at all. So on top of that feeling of futility, there was also a very healthy dose of guilt. She was telling herself that she had everything that she'd been working for, everything that she had ever wanted, and yet she still wasn't feeling happy. So on some level, she wondered if there was something wrong with her. And so there it is again. Deep in the recesses, under the cover of darkness, shame was keeping her stuck. Stuck, but also safe. In this case, safe from making any changes, from taking any risks, from doing anything that might upset the apple cart, so to speak. So two very different sets of circumstances, one person on the verge of her career, the other person at great heights of success in her career, and yet both struggling with the same limiting thoughts and being stuck in a lack of clarity by the feeling of shame. The thing about the I don't know response is that it's very protective. It feels safe. For example, if I were to drag my feet long enough on applying for that new job and I miss the deadline, it saves me from all of the hassle of applying and potentially not getting it. Or if I submit the application at the last minute and it's maybe not as high quality as I really would want... At least I can point to that as being the reason for not getting the interview or not getting the job. Going all in on something and then experiencing failure feels like giving away our control and our certainty. It's very vulnerable. Indecision, I don't know, feels like a great place to hang out because there's no real risk of failure there. However, there's some hidden costs with indecision that we might not be recognizing. One of those big costs is that it's a real energy suck. Have you ever noticed when you go through your day asking yourself what's next and constantly meeting yourself with the response, I don't know, how drained you feel at the end of the day versus when you tell yourself, you know, exactly what's next with no indecision. No, I don't know. Have you noticed how that impacts your energy levels? If you'd like to try and experiment around this, when your brain offers you the question, what's next, you could respond with, I know what's next, or even something like, I don't know what's next, but I am confident that I can figure it out. It's so fascinating how that level of certainty that you offer to yourself can impact your energy levels. The other big problem with indecision is that there's really no opportunity for progress there. Progress is only realized when we go all in and receive meaningful feedback. When we go halfway in, the feedback that we get is watered down with all of the things that we already know, but we weren't willing to give ourselves time for. So for example, I submit my resume and it has a bunch of typos in it. And maybe the feedback focuses all on the fact that there were typos. That's a real missed opportunity for some meaningful feedback. It's much easier to receive the feedback on typos, though, than it is to receive feedback on how maybe I'm not the right fit for the opportunity. Because that feedback could open up the door to self-judgment and then experiencing Rejection and shame. So that's the reason why we don't necessarily go all in is because it feels very protective. We don't want to make ourselves vulnerable to that rejection. The downside is that we don't get to the real heart of the feedback because it feels so vulnerable. What I'm proposing here isn't easy. Putting yourself out there, making a decision strongly, and supporting yourself throughout that process isn't easy. However, I'll offer the alternative isn't easy either. The comfort zone might feel safe. It might feel like you have the benefit of predictability and certainty. However, it's a false sense of safety. Whether you stay in the comfort zone or you venture into something new, both are fraught with uncertainty. We don't have a lens into the future, a crystal ball. Both have the potential for greatness. And both have the potential for failure. We can never get around that. So the question becomes, if we could realize greatness and failure by pursuing our current path, or by pursuing the path not yet explored, what would you really choose? And getting really honest with yourself around that, because the truth is that no matter what you decide, what path you choose, there really is no wrong decision. There is no right way to do it and there is no wrong way to do it. All options lead to both the opportunity for greatness and the possibility of failure. It's just a matter of listening to that murmur of clarity that's whispering to you when you ask yourself, what do I really want? So what is the solution? How does one get clarity that sparks the willingness to move forward rather than staying hidden in the shadows of shame? I think the first solution is the one I mentioned earlier, bringing the shame forward into the light, looking at it with a curious and compassionate eye. Even talking about it turns the scary monster into Sully the monster. Once we acknowledge shame and give it the respect it deserves, Then we can turn to the subject of desire. What is it that you really want? If you literally come up blank when you're asked this question, like I did for so many years, and you've done the work of exposing the guilt and the shame to the light of curiosity and compassion, I'll offer a strategy to get some more clarity. In the very beginning, I spent some time just looking at my preferences. What's my favorite color? What's my favorite food? What's my favorite hobby? movie, book, car, job, vacation spot. It might seem a bit trivial to start by asking yourself to identify your favorite food, but I really see want like a muscle. A muscle that has been atrophied by a lifetime of supposed to and should. If you're anything like me, you grew up in a culture that had a lot of opinions on what we should do, what we were supposed to do to attain happiness. And so I spent so much time following that formula that I actually forgot to check in with myself about what I actually wanted. I just forgot. And my dreams and my wants kind of withered and atrophied over time. But that doesn't mean that they disappeared entirely. With a little bit of work, starting small and building that muscle, I began to envision my dreams again. And now they're very alive to me. Not just alive, but I'm living them. I'm stepping into them. The interesting thing is that the fear hasn't gone away, but it definitely doesn't hold me back anymore. A couple of last questions that you can ask yourself when your brain offers you the, I don't know. What I will respond with when my brain offers me that is, yeah, brain, (laughs) but if you did know, what would it be? If there were no limits whatsoever, what do you want? If you want any help with getting further clarity, I'll invite you to sign up for the Peaceful Productivity Monthly Membership. In this membership, you get access to private one-on-one coaching that will help you look at those uncomfortable feelings in a very safe space and get clarity on where you're going. Thanks, everyone.